Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Welcome back to Sacred Season. I'm Erin Hawley. And I'm Danielle Hitchin. Sacred Season, as you know, is dedicated to coming alongside listeners with encouragement for whatever season you're in, but especially if you're parenting in those difficult but wonderful little years. Each episode is built around a season of the liturgical calendar. We believe the church calendar is a helpful way of discipling our hearts and our time, and that each season can lead us into deeper relationship with God and a deeper understanding of ourselves. And today's episode will be focused on the season of Lent. It's a period of 40 days over six weeks that excludes Sundays. Lent starts on Ash Wednesday and ends on Holy Saturday. Traditionally, Sundays are counted as feast days as each Sunday in the year is considered a mini Easter, a day to celebrate Christ's resurrection and partake of the Feast of the Eucharist. To fast on such a day would be completely nonsensical. And as Daniel mentioned, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and this day in particular reminds us of the need to repent and of our own mortality. In many church traditions, ashes are placed in the shape of a cross upon one's forehead with a reminder of our finiteness. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Ash Wednesday then begins the 40 days of Lent, days modeled on Jesus' 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. So Lent, like Advent, is an intentional wilderness season. And being that, it's often a time in which people become more mindful of spiritual disciplines. So, I mean, what exactly are spiritual disciplines? They are practices which help us to conform more and more to the image of Christ. Things like observing the church calendar, um, studying scripture, fasting, and feasting, these are all spiritual disciplines. And you might think it's funny to call feasting a discipline, but for some people, it really is a discipline. You know, my pastor says that most people are either fasters or feasters, and for some, fasting just makes more sense. It feels Mm -hmm. like you get what you deserve because you're withholding. But indulging in a feast and partaking of bounty can be really jarring for some people. So I love that that you can have both sides of that, fasting mm-hmm. and feasting as disciplines. So Erin, I'm curious to know what kind of spiritual disciplines do you practice and what are some of your favorites? So I think some, um, well, I'll start with my favorite spiritual discipline. Um, and my favorite spiritual discipline is just a simple one of reading God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and for almost 10 years now, I was thinking back, uh, I have been reading I'm using an app called The Bible in One Year. It started out as an email, um, and now there's an app. And then a few years ago, they added like an audio portion. So it's getting super hard. Um, And I just love this because it takes you through. There's a Psalm or a Proverb, a New Testament passage, and an Old Testament passage every day. And having done it for about 10 years now, I can safely say that I've read through the Bible seven or eight times because I haven't done every day, uh, every year. That's still really amazing. (laughs) But it's brought so much more scope to my understanding of who God is and how the redemption story is traced um, from the beginning of the Bible um, to the middle and Jesus, the hinge of history, um, and then uh, to the end and to Revelations. And so that, that in particular, um, is a time that I think is life-giving to me as I learn more about who Jesus is and who he says that I am. I enjoy reading my Bible as well, but one of my recent favorite spiritual disciplines is meditative prayer based on the rosary. Mm. And I know if you're Protestant, the um, hair on the back of your neck might be standing up a little bit when I say rosary, but there is actually a Protestant rosary. You can look up an Anglican rosary, so you're not saying Hail Marys if that's something you're uncomfortable with, and I I personally don't. Um, 
But I am, I am a busy person. And even when I'm not moving, my mind is moving. And I love the rosary because it engages my hands while I'm praying. And it's a way to work through the beads and a reminder of, mm-hmm. of what I'm saying. And it's a form of meditative prayer. So you might you know, start with the Lord's prayer and then move to saying something like, Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, have mercy upon me. And you repeat that a few times and you move back to the Lord's prayer and then you move through the beads seven beads and move back to the central bead, say the Lord's prayer again. And it's a good way to engage my, my hands as well as I engage my heart and my mm-hmm. mind and practice thinking about God's word. Um, and those aren't the only prayers you could use. Those are just the ones that came off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but there are whole books on ways to pray the rosary. Um, there's a whole book on praying the Psalms using the rosary, which I know you talked yeah. about in the last episode and that's lovely. So that's a discipline I've been really enjoying. I like time to just quiet my heart where I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about anything in particular, but just being present before the Lord. And that's been a really helpful discipline for me recently. I love that. And I love um, your suggestion that that sitting or silence itself um, <laughs> can be a spiritual discipline. And um, I recently went to um, just a small sort of mini retreat um, on the, the discipline, spiritual discipline of silence. And it was so helpful just for focusing. And as you said, we all live such busy lives and have a thousand things on our minds. And just to be able to intentionally focus um, on God and carve, aside, carve out those times of silence um, is something that's really refreshing. Yeah, I've enjoyed the the meditation and silence as well. And, um, you know, some of the best advice I think I ever received was learn how to take a nap in the Lord. I love <laughs> like, it. I love that. Lay yeah. on your yeah. bed, yeah. quiet your heart, mm-hmm. focus on God, and, you know, <laughs> allow yourself to be to meditative or listening in silence. Mm-hmm. But it's okay if you fall asleep mm-hmm. and falling Absolutely. asleep in the, in the presence of the Lord is just... Mm-hmm. Such a quiet, peaceful, restorative way to practice a spiritual discipline. Um, and I love that a spiritual discipline can be sleep. Yes, you know, absolutely. It's, it's a good reminder that it's not just another task on our mm-hmm. to-do list, but mm-hmm. it's a way to refresh and reset mm-hmm. as well. I think D.A. Carson actually says that um, sometimes your most important spiritual discipline can be getting a good night's sleep, which I love. <laughs> so, that is very important. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So, especially as tired yes, moms, yes, yes, busy exactly. moms, yeah. so, busy parents yes, in general. Yes. <laughs> and spiritual disciplines are just practices that are described in the Bible that really are meant to deepen our relationship uh, with Jesus and to make us more like him. Um, and you know, it's really not about our feelings. <laughs> as much as I want to make it about my feelings. Um, sometimes we feast and remember God during hard times. And sometimes we fast and remember God during the good times. Mm-hmm. I remember in particular after losing mom this past spring, um, one song in particular really hit home. And the songwriter was describing a particularly difficult time Um, And the response was, all I did was praise you. And I just love that reminder that even in the midst of hardship, it's not about me um, and I can praise him. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. And I feel like there's sometimes a bit of like school of hard knocks that comes along Mm -hmm. with this where like I get really... um, annoyed sometimes with God when my life is not going the way that I want it to go or things are frustrating and difficult. And God often reminds me like, this isn't, this isn't Mm -hmm. about you. Like I am the God of the universe and I know more than you do about this. So just like, just let it go. Like praise me, praise Mm -hmm. me. I am here for you. Praise me. And the more I have leaned into some of my negative feelings about God um, and frustrations of of being in a wilderness season, the more I've realized, one, God can handle those big emotions, and it's okay to cry out to Him with those big feelings. And two, 
praise in the midst of that, a sort of a fake it till you make it. And I felt my heart slowly being reoriented to mm-hmm. praise and more able to cope with things that I find frustrating or difficult. And I, I feel like my relationship with God is stronger than ever because of having walked through some of these these difficult seasons and these frustrations. So yeah, that's just a really great reminder. Um, and it's not about our feelings, you know, it's about God and who he is and knowing our place before him as his, as his daughters and, um, and he is our king. Okay, so we've established that Lent is a season for spiritual disciplines, but I just want to make sure, lest there's any confusion, that Lent is not, in fact, a time to reboot your New Year's resolutions or indulge in self-improvement projects. The point of Lent is is to participate in a number of communal disciplines which are designed to make you weaker and to recognize your finitude and your need for God. And these practices drive you to greater mindfulness of God's work and to prayer and to moment-by-moment dependence on God's grace and help you look to the needs of others. And so to that end, there are three three traditional spiritual disciplines to focus on during the season of Lent. Those are fasting, prayer, and giving. And fasting, and a Lenten fast in particular, is perhaps one of the most misunderstood forms of spiritual discipline. And there are a variety of traditions surrounding fasting and abstinence in the church during Lent, but generally speaking, parishioners are encouraged to abstain from meat and poultry and also to fast by having a light breakfast, one full meal, and one half meal for the duration of Lent. And the very young, the very old, the ill, the pregnant, and the breastfeeding are all excluded from this, but in general, this was expected to be the church-wide communal fast. And remember that the fast is broken each Sunday in Lent because Sundays are feast days. The fast is also not something that you're really supposed to discuss with others. In fact, it's considered better to break your fast than to keep it at the risk of offending someone or appearing pridefully holy. For instance, if you go to dinner at a friend's house and they serve you steak, you should just eat it. I'm all for eating steak, <laughs> especially during Lent, um, if it's possible. But but in all seriousness, this tradition of not discussing your fast with others is really consistent with Jesus's teachings about biblical fasting. Jesus teaches us that fasting is something between you and God. It's not outward focused. And in fact, in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Jesus says that when we fast, we're not to look somber. Um, We're not to disfigure our faces or to show others that we're fasting. Because if we do this, we have our reward in full in the recognition from others. Hmm. But instead, Jesus says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I love this, that God who is unseen sees what is done in secret. And the point of a Lenten fast is not to look hungry or to look especially holy, uh, but rather to honor and obey God and to turn our attention from our bodily needs to his provision. That's a great point. And at some point in the last several decades, the Lenten fast has shifted to become less about food and more about um, an individual practice in which people give up something else like sweets or alcohol, coffee, TV, social media, etc. And I don't think that there's particularly anything wrong with this, but it does mean that you step out of the communal fast. And I think that there is goodness in partaking of a discipline as a community. But, you know, I've actually never participated in the communal fast because I've been nursing or pregnant for the better part of the last six years. But quite frankly, the fast intimidates me. I easily get hangry. I love beef. I need my chicken. But the conservative in me does think that there's something that's really important about participating with the church global, both current and historic, in this practice. 
But whatever it is that you fast or abstain from for Lent, the goal is that when you want the thing that you've given up, you mm-hmm. instead turn to God in prayer. And this leads us to our second traditional Lenten discipline, which is prayer. As you give up something, you also need to add something. So when you're hungry, you turn to prayer and ask God to sustain you. Or when you would like a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or an episode of The Good Place, then instead you would more fully realize the ways that you seek solace apart from the Lord and instead turn to him. A fast is designed to make you more mindful of God throughout the day. In one form of prayer that I've really been soaking in as of late is just praying scripture and especially the Psalms. The early church used the Psalms to shape their own prayers. And as Martin Luther wrote, the Psalms can provide us with both the language and the mood in which to address our Father God. In fact, the Psalms are gut-wrenchingly honest. (laughs) They give voice to every facet of human emotion. And they show us that God is not afraid of our darkest emotions. Many of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament, uh, begin with an acknowledgement of heartache or sorrow. They make a request of God, and then importantly, they relinquish whatever is causing the psalmist's distress to God and end in praise. And I love this modeling of the elements of prayer for us. When I'm especially troubled, the Psalms of Lament present a framework for me, a framework to lament to God, to make a request of him, but also, and importantly, to relinquish that request to him and to remember to praise God. I also love the Psalms, and I had a friend point out to me at some point that the Psalms say all the things that you didn't know you were allowed to, to say to God, <laughs> smite my enemies. Okay, well, God can take it. Whether or not he answers it is a different question. Um, but as we're talking about praying scripture, of course, the Lord's Prayer also comes to mind. Jesus says, when you pray, this is how you do it. And I love the Lord's Prayer because it could hardly be described as excessive. You know, it's it's a brief, like nine or 10 lines, you know, and Jesus gives us very specific instructions. You say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And um, I think it's really important to to take this prayer as a model of how we approach God. I, I also love the Psalms as a as a way of modeling prayer for myself. And you know, I had a friend point out to me sometime that the Psalms say all the things you didn't know that you were allowed to say to God <laughs> in prayer, like smite my enemies. Like, okay, um, I mean, whether or not God actually answers that prayer is a totally different question. But at least you know that you can say things like that to Him. <laughs> Absolutely. And as sort of an aside here, I think we can learn a little bit about unanswered prayers um, from our role as moms. Mm. And the thing is, as moms, we are privy to a much broader view of the whole story. Um, And we know, for example, that a third piece of cake uh, for dinner uh, will not go well um, as much as our five-year-old who's having a birthday might really want one. Mm -hmm. Um, And as trivial as that example is, I think there are things that we want, even good things uh, that we want, uh, that in the broader story might not be the best thing uh, for us. And that's one reason, not the only reason, but that's one reason um, for unanswered prayer. Yeah, that's such a great perspective. And my kids ask for all kinds of things that I deny <laughs> because it's not good for their health or well-being or general safety. Like, no, they can't play in the street. You know, like they think that's a great idea, but I, I do not. Um, but as we're discussing prayer, I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me when I think about prayer is just the feeling of being overwhelmed. Um, you know, sometimes because I'm a perfectionist, it can be really overwhelming to think about the number, the sheer number of things that I need to pray for. You know, I want to have time to pray really thoroughly. I want to remember everybody in my life and all my own things and adequately acknowledge God's greatness and pray for all the the challenging things that are happening in our world. And, you know, I've been slowly learning to give up my expectations for prayer. And um, one model that I love is, is the Lord's Prayer, because it could hardly be described as excessive. It's, you know, just nine or 10 lines. You know, Jesus says, 
come to your father, say, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And I think it's really great to remember that you can pray the Lord's Prayer in under a minute. And Mm -hmm. this is how Jesus commands us to pray. And I think that there will be days where you can pray for 45 minutes and there will be days where you can pray for 45 seconds. And there's, there's just different seasons of prayer in your life. And I heard a quote recently from Barbara Brown Taylor, and she said, to say that I love God, but I do not pray much. It's like saying I love life, but do not breathe much. The only way I have found to survive my shame is to come at the problem from both sides, exploring two distinct possibilities. One, that prayer is more than my idea of prayer. And two, that some of what I actually do in life may constitute genuine prayer. And this idea has really struck me as I go about my daily life, because there are days in which I just want to stay in bed for another couple of hours. (laughs) You know, I don't want to get up and make another breakfast, and I don't want to change another poopy diaper. But... The, the faithfulness of these acts and the willingness to get up and to continue to serve, to continue to be patient, to continue to be mm-hmm. loving and manage my responsibilities, I think those things are seen as a prayer in their own way. These are continual sacrifices that we make. And um, you know, one other thing that I have been learning a lot um, in terms of giving up my expectations for prayer is to give up the guilt when somebody asks mm-hmm. me to pray for them and I say that I will, but then I don't sit down and pray for them for like you know mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes. And to learn how to pray for them in that second that they ask me, and when they come to mind an hour later or a day later, that I lift them up for 15 seconds or a minute or however long it is that I have to lift up their situation and continue to pray for them. And this has helped me um, feel a lot more engaged in my prayer life and to feel like I am engaged with with my community and to pray for the things that that are on my heart. So I would encourage you to find small spaces to pray, whether that's, you know, 15 seconds in the car between kid questions or right when a friend asks you to pray. The small spaces are really important times to connect with God. I love the idea of small spaces, and we all know as moms how hard it can be uh, to find those small spaces. And I'm reminded of the story of Susanna Wesley, who had a house full of children. Um, And with all of the children running about, she would flip her kitchen towel over her head and pray. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And apparently her children, who included uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, uh, the preacher and the songwriter, knew not to disturb her. Um, Now, now my kitchen would burn down if I did this. Um, but, But I do love the idea of carving out uh, small spaces and also the idea of our children knowing how important our prayer life mm-hmm. is uh, to uh, to us uh, as women and as moms and that they would see that um, and hopefully later em- emulate uh, that in their own lives. And one thing for me that I've been learning is also that prayer is about listening. Um, It's a conversation with God. It's just not me telling him uh, my wants and needs. And recently our pastor told us sort of an example about going to the doctor. And he said, you know, do you go into your doctor and say, you know, doctor, my head really hurts. I have splitting migraines and my ear hurts. And and oh, by the way, my knee hurts and my stomach hurts. And then say, you know, nice to see you, doctor. Uh, You know, we'll see you in six months. Um, (laughs) Just walk out the door. Or would you rather wait and hear what the doctor might have to say about whatever is ailing you? And I think we can do that same thing uh, with God, that we can kind of approach him and tell him all of our our sorrows or our concerns or our petitions um, and forget to listen for his answer. And I think that when we take the time um, to meditate on a scripture and ask the Lord what it is that he might have for us uh, in that scripture, or when we take the time to journal the thoughts um, and scriptures that might come to us, we, we do have this two-way conversation with God. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, you made the point earlier about the the discipline of um, silence. And, and silence is a part of this listening process. You know, I think about the story of Elijah when he was mm-hmm. on the mountain, he comes to God and God wasn't in the thunder and he wasn't in the wind. He was in the, the still small voice mm-hmm. and God also comes to us in the still small voice. And um, another way God comes to us, of course, is through scripture. And one of the things that scripture clearly tells us to do is to um, take care of the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan. And this is one reason why the final focus of the Lenten season is on almsgiving. And alms is an old English word that originally derived from the Latin, which derived from the Greek, but it means compassion or mercy. And I really love the idea that in Lent we give compassionately or we give in a way that shows mercy to others. And this giving is related to the traditional fast. If you're generally eating less food and you're specifically eating less meat, you're going to be saving money. And instead of enjoying the money that you're saving for yourself, traditionally that saved money is then paid forward to those who are less fortunate. Um, and so, you know, in our church, we usually take up an additional offering during Lent to support one of our ministry partners. But even if you aren't participating in any additional like corporate giving effort, I would encourage you during Lent to think about a particular charity, you know, either local or abroad that's doing good things for the Lord and give to them a little bit of extra in this season. That reminder that the season um, is outward focused um, in terms of our giving uh, really illustrates for me that sometimes the, the Lenten fast that we can choose for ourselves uh, look nothing uh, like the fast that Jesus has chosen. Um, and just from an example from my own life, uh, I once gave up Diet Dr. Pepper <laughs> for <laughs> <That's> Lent. hard. <laughs> it was hard, very hard. Um, but maybe not quite uh, the sort of fast that Jesus was envisioning. And one of my favorite verses uh, is Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. And it tells us about the fast that Jesus chose. And he says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Lent really offers any number of opportunities to practice taking up our cross and following Christ. But I think that it needs to be said that motherhood can sometimes feel like a perpetual <laughs> Lent. Um, And, you know, we know that motherhood is a sacred calling, one that the Lord has sanctioned and blessed. And I think Lent is a good reminder that we can't do it all. It's a reminder that as we give something up of ourselves um, or take something extra on, we also need to reorient our life around these shifts and that we can't do any of it without further depending on God, without being driven to our knees in prayer, without God's grace and his mercy and his provision and his strength to uphold us. Given that we're focusing in this podcast series on relating the church calendar to our vocation and role as moms, it's fun to reflect on the change that Jesus made in the sacrificial system. So before uh, Jesus came, the Jewish sacrificial system was quite complicated, um, and the Jewish people were required to come into the temple at various times during the year, various seasons, um, and offer various sacrifices for various reasons, very specific reasons. Um, but Romans 12.1 tells us that this is completely changed after the coming of Jesus, after Jesus tore the temple veil in two. And it tells us sort of like Danielle was saying earlier, that our lives, it's our that our lives can themselves become a prayer. And Roman 12, 1 tells us, uh, the message translation puts it, take your everyday life and offer it up to Jesus. And in our role as moms, this means our everyday life, our nursing and our sweeping, our changing diapers, our discipling little hearts, all of it can be offered up to God as something valuable to him. That's 
And that's such an encouraging point. And I'm actually reminded of something uh, my pastor often says at marriage ceremonies. He, he looks at the couple and he tells them, what's happening here today is a death and resurrection. You are, you are dying to yourselves as individuals and to your you know, families of origin, and you are rising again as something new. You are a new family, a new creation, sanctioned by God, blessed by, by this congregation and by the Lord. And I, I think that that um, metaphor is applicable to each addition in our, in our family structure. You know, when you have your, your first child, there is a death and resurrection that happens there. You are dying as a, as a, as a two-person couple, as, you know, a double income, no kids, going out in the evenings. <laughs> you know, you all remember those days. <laughs> but you're rising again as a family of three. And that death and resurrection happens again with each subsequent child that you add, each time you do that, there is a reorientation of your life. There's a disorientation and a reorientation of your life. And, you know, marriage and parenthood, they demand that you be broken down and filled anew for the task of caring for your family and discipling your children. And that can be a really difficult task. But remember that there's such goodness in that resurrection. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have to be really honest <laughs> with you. Um, this Preparing for this episode um, and your words just now, Danielle, in combination with thinking about the Lenten fast and Jesus's teachings have really gotten to me. They've really made me pause in my tracks. And I think the reason is that I'm usually okay, not always, <laughs> um, but I'm usually okay with the sacrifices that come with motherhood. Mm-hmm. I don't really mind eating standing up. Um, I don't mind consuming kid leftovers. I mean, I don't really even mind missing sleep, especially now that I'm getting more of it. I, I really covet the snuggles <laughs> um, that come along uh, with missing that sleep. Um, To be honest, it's a little harder uh, to push pause on my career at times and to choose uh, what's best for my family, even though it may not seem like that's personally uh, the best thing for me. But it really all seems doable. Um, And this is the catch so long as someone else notices. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So as long as someone acknowledges, you know, she could be doing X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. um, but instead um, she's caring for her husband or her children and she's supporting them. Um, But when someone, uh, especially that same husband or their same children, uh, don't notice or don't really think it's that big of a sacrifice, then my feelings get hurt Mm -hmm. um, and I get angry. Um, But it really strikes me that when Jesus was talking about fasting, he taught his disciples to fast precisely so that no one else would notice. No one is supposed to be aware of their sacrifice. It was a fast in obedience to and to glorify God. It wasn't a fast for human recognition. Mm-hmm. And I've really been thinking about how freeing it might be if I could serve my husband and my children as unto the Lord and not even worry about their response. As has been said and is explained by Jesus in his teachings on fasting, it is between you and God. That is such a great and convicting point to close out our episode, so thanks for that. You know, it makes me think that as we step into our season of Lent and as we consider Christ's call to take up our crosses and follow him, we remember that taking up our cross means to literally carry the instrument of our own death. You know, obedience to Jesus means that we must die to ourselves, to our desires for praise and acknowledgement and achievement, and it means that we have to rise to new life in Christ. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And I love that the season of motherhood, especially in the little years, alongside of the season of Lent, helps us move deeper into the obedience of that death to self. Our next episode is going to be available on April 5th, which is Palm Sunday, and we'll be discussing the events and the themes of Holy Week. And as usual, we will close this episode with a meditation on scripture. Today's passage is Joel 2, 12 through 14. 
So as you're able, we would encourage you to take a deep breath, close your eyes, open your heart, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you better understand day by day how to rend your heart and return to the Lord. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Amen.